Canucks make another impressive hire to bolster their front office. It is the Canucks Hour, the regularly scheduled edition here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Stranch. You can also read his work covering the team at The Athletic. Canucks Hour brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. AvenueMachinery.ca. Yet another extremely eventful night. Uh, There's been a lot of them, Drancer, over the last few months. But yet another extremely eventful day and night for the Vancouver Canucks last night. They lose 6-3 to the Islanders after being down 5-0 in the first period. Just a catastrophic first period for the team in that game. The bigger news of the day, and if you were listening, you just heard myself and Bick Nazar chewing on it a little bit. You also heard Cammie Granato talk to the media, is that the Canucks have hired Cammie Granato, Hockey Hall of Famer, Olympic gold medalist, most recently a pro scout with the Seattle Kraken, to be the new one of the new assistant general managers for the team. So we'll talk about all of that and more here in Canucks Hour. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your thoughts in. And, and Drancer, when the news broke from Elliot Friedman last night, I know you were on the panel uh, on the game broadcast with Murph. You had a little bit of a chance to react to the Cami Granado news. But now with more time to think about it, with time to hear from Granado herself, what are your what are your first impressions of this latest addition to the front office? Well, I'm... I think they've brought in someone who does something vitally important in the active player evaluation and and beyond the idea of scouting players or finding good hockey players. If you're going to be the best at player evaluation, and make no mistake, that's what it takes to win a Stanley Cup, the thing you have to be even better at than evaluating and finding good hockey players is evaluating yourself, is knowing who you are, is making sure you have a firm, firm grounding of what your team is, what they can do, where they are going in terms of their development cycle. And Cami Granato has spent more time at Rogers Arena than just about any pro scout you'll find in the industry. It's it's either her or Steve Correa have filed the most reports off of Canucks games of any scouts in this business. And they've brought in someone with those, with that set of eyes, that fresh perspective. Now, Obviously, the Sidians have been around, right? Working for the team, at least through this season. Ryan Johnson has been intimately involved at the American League and the NHL level. But they also were involved in decision-making that led to constructing this team. They they are, to some extent, attached to some of these guys, right? It's not the same same thing as having a fresh set of eyes. Derek Clancy, Jim Rutherford, um, Emily Castonguay. All qualified people, but coming from the East Coast, they they haven't seen this team the way Cami has, up close and personal, on a on a every game day basis. When Rogers Arena was empty, right, last season, during the 2021 campaign, Cami Granato, there just about every game, every day. Cami Granato knows this team, is familiar with this team, um, at a level that is almost impossible to mimic elsewhere in the NHL. Like you you can't find anyone who knows it as well. And I think that's vital. Especially because there have been a lot of factors this season that make this team hard to see clearly, right? We know they underachieved in the first 25 games. We know they were better than that. But then they overachieved, especially in the first 10 games under Bruce Boudreaux. And now they've hit this level where they're still getting elite goaltending, and they're getting elite goaltending almost no matter who's in net and so long as they're not hosting the Islanders. (laughs) Um, You know, while also sort of 
just being about 500, right? Just like kind of they've settled back into being win, losing overtime, losing regulation, win, sort of, you know, they haven't been consistent for the last month and a half, basically. Basically since the calendar flipped to 2022. With all that's gone on around this team, with the coaching change, you know, are they, how much better are they under Boudreaux? Look at the vibes. What's Pedersen? What's Brock Besser? Um, you know, who among the Canucks players do you answer yes to when asked the question is, let's just pick a name out of the hat, one who's been, you know, bandied about in trade rumors of late, is JT Miller part of the next great Canucks team? Go up and down the lineup and ask yourself that question, Right. Cami Granado bringing her in as an assistant general manager with a player development portfolio, considering her experience as a player, but also especially considering her familiarity with this lineup. She might be the person whose opinion on that, up and down the lineup, reading through the lineup, I'm most interested to hear. I might wait the most highly because she's seen them the most. She's seen them the most in an evaluative capacity for two years. So... Am I worried about Cami Granado seeing the Bruce Boudreaux bump and thinking, well, that's who they are now? I'm not. She knows who this team is. She knows who these players are. I think this is exactly what the organization needed for that reason and that more than anything else. Like, I'm honestly relieved. I'm honestly feeling a sense of relief that they brought in someone with her unique perspective because I think the most vital thing for this team right now is to get it right on who they are, on who they are. And everyone knows what I think they are. Not a playoff team, not close to a playoff team, a long haul um, work in progress to get to where I'm hopeful they can be, where people aren't saying to me that you love the Maple Leafs. No, I like good hockey teams. I like good hockey teams. I want to cover a good hockey team. And I do think Cammy Granato, at at the very least, is so well positioned to, to know that this is not a good hockey team. And they need that. They need that so badly, Jamie. So I love the hire. Very go. excited. Chances Very excited. Kevin Granado, let's go. You came in, you spilled your coffee. I did. You got, During that rant, <laughs> I spilled my coffee. <laughs> you got fired up. Just so up. you know. Yeah. I love it. I love the passion, my guy. Um, the point about... It's, it's, you know what? It's that, it's that game last night, too. Oh, like, man, I just a, can't. Yeah. I can't anymore. And I'm not going to be polite about this team. People want to believe that this team can make a playoff run? They can't get out of the first period against an Islanders team that I can't believe. Like, they are the slowest team I've seen live this year. Bruce Boudreaux said they were quick. I actually think the Canucks were surprised by how slow they were. They didn't realize how much empty space they had to just put pucks into. Like, I can't watch this team anymore and be polite about the idea like, like, oh, look, look what they've done under Boudreaux. They're not close to being good. They're not just not good. They're not close to being good. There is a lot of work to do. I'm so glad that Jim Rutherford is bringing in really smart people to do that work because they need a lot of it. They need a lot of it. I'm done being polite about this. I'm not doing it anymore, Jamie. Oh, man. We're getting some great thoughts in. Uh, Drance is the only person I look forward to having yell at me. Uh, Wait, I'm confused. Is Drance excited or not? My speakers might have burst in the last few minutes. Yeah, Drance is fired up. It's, it's not even Friday yet. Drance is fired up and ready to go. Look, we'll get into whatever happened in that first period. I, I do want to stay on the Cameron Granato point a little bit here. And, and Bick and I had a lot to say uh, earlier in the day in the 11 o'clock hour. You can go back and listen to that. But your point about the importance of self-evaluation is a really, really good one, I think. And how Cameron Granato is kind of uniquely positioned to evaluate what this team is based not just on the last couple months, not just 
the la- this season even, but the last several seasons where she's been here scouting the team day after day, game after game. And it's especially interesting in the context of coming in, you know, she's not coming in in the offseason. She's coming in six weeks before the trade deadline. And we have all talked about and all heard the amount of action that could happen for this team going into the NHL trade line, trade deadline, right? The amount of high-profile, important, key players who have been involved in rumors in one in one respect or another. So you have Karami Gennato coming in, and she obviously there's always going to be a bit of a you know a, a learning period when you're joining a new organization. But purely from a knowledge of the Canucks standpoint, she's going to be able to hit the ground running and help this front office right away tackle some of those big decisions going into the trade deadline because of that familiarity with the players. And the other thing is, I think, you know, your point about evaluating what you have, it's not just important from the big picture point of view that you're describing, right? Where you have to be honest about the overall talent level of your team and how close are we to being a legitimate contender. That's obviously extremely important. But you look at every big decision that the team has to make, right? Like, let's start with Brock Besser. We know the qualifying offer is a significant... I don't want to say problem, but it's it's a dilemma that the team is going to have to decide on. Dilemma is a good word. The only way you can... Five dollar words. I'm, I'm like, right. I'm like, ooh, five dollar words. Yeah, let's go. The only way you can correctly decide on how to proceed through that dilemma is by being really good on your evaluation of what Brock Besser is, right? Like, there's the salary cap, and there's the strategic considerations, and there's weighing what you can get from and all of that. But fundamentally, it starts with we have to nail our evaluation of our own player. We have to know exactly what we think we have to the best of our abilities in Brock Besser. And you can say that about every player that we're talking about. You can say that about JT Miller, Connor Garland. Go down the list. It all starts with having a clear honest, accurate idea of what are these players now? What are they likely to be in the future? How do they fit with what we're trying to do? So to your point, bringing in somebody who has that day in, day out familiarity, it's not just a question of, okay, here's what I think about the overall direction of the team. It's when we're talking about what are we comfortable giving Brock Besser on a a potential contract extension, having somebody who has a very familiar is very familiar with Brock Besser's body of work over the last several seasons that's immensely valuable well and the ups and downs and the personal intel and the understanding too of what's behind some of the lack of production this year um Besser is a perfect example because the stakes are so high the Inside hockey logistics of the leverage points around him are so complicated, right? So multifaceted in terms of the different devices and levers to pull in in reaching a settlement that favors the club. And he's a really tough player to evaluate. He's earned this reputation as a streaky scorer. And because he's not a big physical hitter guy, and because he's not a particularly fast skater... There is a opinion around, like a, a common opinion, uh, that, you know, when he's not scoring, what what's he doing for you? Well, he's making plays. He's winning battles. He's driving play. He had a great shift last night. One of the few moments of the game last night where I thought the Canucks, other than the Pedersen line, which I thought was super dynamic, especially in that second period, right? And probably underutilized in the third period, to be totally honest with you. Um, other than the Pedersen line, there was one shift where Brock Besser just started doing the doing flow stuff flowing 
um, and making plays and kind of dictating terms. Now, it resulted in a shot that I didn't love. Like, it was a low percentage flip-in um, into traffic. Didn't get to the net. Didn't love the shot. But the shift itself was just this, you know, and I guess it was the second period based on where the Canucks were shooting. Um, but it was the shift that sort of demonstrated his ability to think the game, to pull strings, to control things on the ice. That's something he does regularly. That's something he helps a team do. And that's so often ignored in favor of is he scoring or not, which is often percentage dependent, right? Like this season, he hasn't been scoring. He's way below his career scoring clip in terms of the shooting and in terms of the on-ice shooting, in terms of his line mates' shooting percentage. He's been desperately unlucky. This is a 60-point, consistent 60-point scorer who can do that without a bounce. Probably will end up doing it this season, even if he's only on pace at the moment for something like 45 points over 82. Um, Evaluating him in that space, understanding, too, that if you trade Brock Besser, you're you're getting cents on the dollar because of the qualifying offer situation, that this might not be the time. Um, Understanding the impact of the bad luck, of the regression, on his performance and his stock in the eyes of the industry and making the right team-friendly decision. Besser to me is a layup. Besser is a guy you extend because this is the wrong time to trade him. His on-ice value exceeds his trade value. Don't trade that guy. You don't trade that guy. Like, just in a vacuum. In, if you're not close. It's one thing when you're trying to finish a team, finish the construction, put the finishing touches on a team you think can do something. But for this team, you need to be mindful in every move of accumulating value. And that's because in every move this team made for years, they bled it. They bled it out. You know, we talk about the importance of knowing your own players. That is what killed the past regime. You know, Nick Benino out. Nick Benino becomes this clutch. Nick Benino out. He wasn't fast enough for the playoffs. Nick Benino becomes the, like the clutch the playoff scorer. Center. Yeah. But also the clutch playoff scorer for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Like, he was the guy in overtimes. And when they needed a late lead, like, you know, um, Jonathan Dolan. I don't even have a ton of time for Jonathan Dolan, but he's at least a complimentary top nine player in the NHL. Um, Go up and down the list, all these players who left and then were useful, super useful, way more useful than what the organization itself thought of the player. Evaluating your own guys is everything. I think Cammy's going to bring a lot to this organization on that front in particular, and I think it's a vital place to nail because as I as I just explained in the Besser example, right, this team needs to be netting value in everything they do to undo years of damage and neglect, frankly, that has caused this team to be both bad on the ice, have no prospects coming, fewer than the draft picks they need, right, and no cap flexibility, and no long-term cap flexibility. It's not just this summer, right? It's also for years to come. Barzil's streaking by OEL. Right, who who's played really well, and I've got a lot of time for his performance this season. But like, you have five more years of that, and the league's only getting faster. Like, there's only more and more Barzells coming in the years ahead. Sign through 2027, Jamie. You know, that's a long time. I mean, it's there's a lot of work to do, and I think having someone in who's seen the last three years as closely as Cammy has, who understands the sport as well as she does, who can register all of these things. And, and just have a really clear-eyed view of how far this organization has to travel to get to where they need to go. Frankly, to get to a level that's acceptable. Um, I think that's vital. And, and I think she's the right person to do it. 
it, obviously there are still, even after the, you know, dramatic wholesale changes to the front office, there are still people that have been with this organization for a long time that have, you know, a level of familiarity, obviously a very high level of familiarity with the players already in place. But I think the combination of having seen this team so much, but from an outsider's external perspective is what can really make Cameron Granato a valuable addition. Because you know this, Drancer. Teams, as you just outlined, once you have a player in your organization, there's always a temptation to try to see the best in that player, right? To fall in love with that player. Because, hey, we drafted him or we went out and acquired him. We signed him. We traded him, whatever the case is. You try to eliminate that bias as much as possible, but that temptation is always be there. That's why, you know, teams' internal evaluations are always going to be a little bit different for that reason. But Cameron Ganano wasn't evaluating these Canucks players when she was filing her scouting reports as a member of the Canucks. She was doing it from an objective, external, outsider's perspective. So she has that familiarity, but she wasn't kind of inherently looking for the best in these Canucks players, which I think is a trap that a lot of front offices fall into, right? If you drafted a guy in the first round, there's a temptation to always be looking for the best in that player. Although, if there is one executive you'd say is ruthless in his own evaluations and cleaning up his own mistakes, it's Jim Rutherford. Yep. No one, I mean, Jim Rutherford is like traded for and dealt guys within the same month. Tanner Pearson, it happened to Tanner Pearson. Like did. He literally, like, three weeks. Like, yeah. Yeah, this didn't work out. Sorry, man. <laughs> Go move again. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, it would be very disconcerting from a player's point of view, but there are a ton of mistakes. Um, Ryan Reeves, he traded a first-round pick for Ryan Reeves. He didn't even do a, play a playoff game for the Penguins. Like, he was just, like, moving on quickly when mistakes happened. Um, David Perron. Uh, go, go, uh, Derek Broussard. I mean, you can go up and down the list. There's in and out in a season and a half if, if it didn't work. Um, that's kind of Rutherford's MO. I'm actually, one day I need to get him on the record about it because the multitude of examples in Pittsburgh are actually very unique. Like, it's a very unique trait. But you're right. Having that fresh perspective, not having that skin in the game, being able to move on from players at the right time is vital. You know, for example... I think you would say that uh, getting Yuho Lamico, who's like a totally useful fourth-line player, and Noah Juleson, who I had a bad first period last night, but on, on par, has looked like, hey, maybe, maybe. Maybe there's something there considering how much development time he's missed and how catastrophic the facial fracture injuries that impacted his vision were uh, during his tail end of Montreal. Maybe, maybe there's something there. Certainly he's looked like rangy, large, athletic in his games. Um, probably don't want him in the top pair role with Oliver ekman Larson against the Islanders, but so be it. The And yet, the fact is, is that um, if if you are were ruthless, more ruthless in dealing Ole Olevi, right? If you dealt Ole Olevi with the speed with which a team like Tampa Bay, for example, netted value for Anthony D'Angelo, right? Like, if you were quick, quicker to the draw and like, hey, this guy's not what we thought... Uh, he was cut our losses, cut bait. Um, you'd be better off. You'd be far better off, right? You'd have gotten a bigger return than a fourth line center and and, a, and an interesting lottery ticket depth defender. Um, Jake Vertanen. There were there were multiple instances where Jake Vertanen could have gone for multiple assets or a second round pick even before his final season when they instead signed him. 
I mean, there's so many examples up and down of stocks that this organization held on for, to for too long or sold low on and then only for them to go up. Um, yeah, it, it, that's such an important part of what you're doing. And now, especially because you're looking at a multi-year project where you need to just enhance the value of what the organization has, like slowly with discipline, with dedication, with every move you do and having as many experienced hockey people to help Rutherford find hockey players. Like that's his, that's been his mandate. And when you look at Emily Castonguay, who was a Div 1 captain playing women's hockey, Cami Granato, one of the most decorated female Olympians um, in the in the sport's history, right? He, she's, until the Sedins get their day, uh, she joins Rutherford as another Hockey Hall of yep. Famer in that front office. Uh, perhaps he wanted another, right? He was, he was getting lonely. He was lonely. Yeah. He wanted another member yeah. of the club. So, well, and, and, you know, we'll have to wait at least another year before the Twins. So, you know... Derek Clancy was like a 100-point guy in the E, in the Coast League. At the time, it actually was the East Coast League. I don't know if people know this. It's now actually just the ECHL. It's like... Uh, it doesn't stand for anything anymore. It doesn't stand for anything anymore. It's just the ECHL. Uh, but he was a, you know, a long pro career, uh, played collegiate hockey in Canada, carved out a long pro career. He's in the ECHL Hall of Fame. He's actually a Hall of Famer, too, just uh, at a different level. And then, um, you know, you go down the list, like, that's what he's been looking for. Those are the types of people he's been targeting. Um, and it hasn't mattered, obviously, whether or not you're a woman or a man. Uh, what's mattered is, have you played, right? Have you played at a high level? And since then, have you gained the relevant professional experience to help us identify better hockey players? And, you know, it's an interesting mix. Cami Granato spoke at length about how she was interested in the collaborative nature of it. Um, my understanding is Rutherford tends to be someone who pushes buttons in meetings, throws an idea out just to have it kicked around, wants to hear people's opinions. It's vital to him, for example, that you speak plainly about where the team is at and no one take it personally. Um, wants to hear all sides, likes when people disagree with him. Jason Carmanos, Jason Botterill, those guys will tell you that one thing Rutherford, Patrick Alvin, he'll tell you the same thing. One thing Rutherford tended to like was not the guys who said, yes, Jim, but were the guys who said, no, Jim, right? right. No, do not do that. Um, that's a really interesting space to bring in, particularly someone with Cammy's experience and Cammy's, um, you know, amount of raw viewings of this roster, especially ahead of six weeks where I do think it's incumbent on this organization to begin to do some of the work that will pay dividends down the line. Like, it's time to change direction. It's time to change direction dramatically. It's time to get young assets. It's time to get draft picks. It's time to get cap flexibility. I, I, I won't really hear it otherwise. Like, I'm again, I'm done being polite about this. This is not close to good enough. There is no sense in not beginning to do the work that's required to build up this team to the point and with due quickness so that in terms of the are those guys on the next great Canucks team test right where I don't want to get to is where you get to Quinn Hughes no right that's the line where you become Buffalo and they're not there yet but do not kid yourself about how close they could be in the event that they don't turn this around and become significantly better two years from now Two years from now, two years from now, Quinn Hughes is going to be 24, 25, right? His statistical prime will be partly lapsed. He'll be right dead smack in the middle of it. 
If you're still where the Canucks are now then, you're going to have to start thinking about more years of pain to get the young, quality, elite talent back in place for the next cycle. Like, you might miss a cycle entirely. That is the stakes here, Jamie. That's why I'm ranting today. It's just like I'm watching that game. I'm watching that game. I'm watching that Coyotes game. I'm thinking, you know what the worst part of this game is? They're not much worse tonight than they were the night before. They were just playing the Coyotes. You know? I'm watching. I'm like, oh, they were brutal in both first periods. And it's not good enough. It's not good enough. I don't want to get to a point where I'm like, is Elias Pettersson part of the next? That has to be an absolute no-doubter yes. And if you don't turn this around in a couple of years, you risk that. You, you risk getting on the wrong side of that line. And then you're Buffalo. And then you're Buffalo. And that's not something any NHL franchise <laughs> wants to hear or wants to be. Your point about the urgency that's facing the Canucks. Everything to me that Jim Rutherford has done so far suggests that he's feeling a sense of urgency as well. Because he's acted quickly and he's acted aggressively to assemble this front office, right? Cami Granato again said in her introductory press conference, this came together very quickly in a matter of a week, right? It was Jim pitching me, having conversations, selling me. She didn't use those words, but you read between the lines and it's Jim Rutherford selling her on his vision for this team, his vision for the front office. We heard the same thing with Rachel Dory, that there were other teams interested and Jim Rutherford made it happen. To me, look, obviously, no matter what, the situation with your team. You always want to take the opportunities to add really highly qualified, smart, impressive people to your front office. But I think in this situation specifically, Jim Rutherford is demonstrating that he wants to get his team in place so that he can start to tackle these big decisions, so that he can start to start the process that you're describing of remaking the future of this team. And again, Cameron Granato, for the reasons we've been talking about, she's going to be able to hit the ground running in that regard. She mentioned, hey, this is a busy time of year. I'm excited to get to work on Monday doing that. And again, just everything that Rutherford has done assembling the front office suggests now that it's in place, I don't think he's going to be content to sit and, and wait around to make some moves. I, th- I think going into the trade deadline, we will see the beginning of what you're describing. He wasn't brought in here because things were going well, right? Period. And there's a lot of work to do. The Canucks had their first full-scale, high-level hockey operations meeting on Tuesday to begin to chart a future path. Um, There's a ton of work to do, and the stakes could not be higher for an organization that needs help just about everywhere. Uh, Just about everywhere. At the NHL level, at the AHL level, at the junior level, they need so much more in terms of quality players, in terms of assets, in terms of hard cash, and, and we'll get into all of that on the other side of the break. Yeah, we'll talk more about the game last night as well, as uh, tough as it was to watch for long stretches from a Canucks perspective. I should mention the newest member of the Canucks front office, Assistant General Manager Cammy Granato, will join the station. She'll talk to Dan Riccio and Satya Shah on Canucks Central today at 4 o'clock. Again, Cami Granato with Sat and Reach at 4 o'clock on Canucks Central, so make sure you tune in to hear from the newest assistant general manager for the Vancouver Canucks. Also, as a reminder, don't forget to subscribe to the Canucks Hour podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a five-star rating and review as well. Lots more coming up on the other side, including your thoughts, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is the Canucks Hour on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. I'm hopeful they can be where people aren't saying to me that you love the Maple Leafs. No, I like good hockey teams. 
I like good hockey teams. I want to cover a good hockey team. I like good hockey teams. I like good hockey teams. I want to cover the Maple Leafs. (laughs) Nicely done. (laughs) Nicely done, Chris Faber. (laughs) The slick edit from from Can you you run it again? Can you run it again? Faber, dock it up. Run it again. Give me a quick second here. I gotta. All right, all right, all right. Favorite. It was just. It was too good. I need to hear it again. <laughs> it was brilliant. That is. I like very good, good hockey teams. I like good hockey teams. I want to cover it. The Maple Leafs. <laughs> there you go. Finally, the admission. The, the Drance has been secretly coveting all these years. <laughs> I loved. I loved the um, strong. Do you remember the movie phone? Do you remember the movie phone growing up? Yeah. Where you'd call in and it would be like our showing of. The Matrix is at 9 p.m. Like it had strong vibes of the movie phone, so I appreciate that. It's the uh, like the episode of The Simpsons where Homer is uh, accused of uh, impropriety with the right. babysitter, and they yeah, edit yeah. his interview on the <laughs> on the station. The sweet to- can, <laughs> yeah. Yes, it reminds exactly. me of the uh, the Daryl Jones reads when it's like today's uh, special of the week is. Tostitos, and he just yells out the whatever product it was because they obviously added it in. Uh, that's so good. Thank you, Faber. I want that for my. I want that for my ringtone, man. That's I'm fantastic. gonna need that. I'm gonna need that as like an audio file. I, I legit. I legit want that as my ringtone. I can mix that with uh, how lucky you got in high school if you want. That would be quite the little uh, <laughs> ringtone run there. Oh, boy. I don't know. Maybe that will be my text alert. Uh, Canucks Hour <laughs> is uh, – it's well, it is the Canucks Hour. Excuse me. I'm all discombobulated here. We had coffee spilled in the first segment. Drancer got all fired up. Don't worry. We're, we're back on the rails. We cleaned up everything. So we're good to go now. It's Canucks Hour, Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd and Canucks Insider Thomas Drance. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Visit avenuemachinery.ca. And look, we we spent the first segment of the show digging into the Cami Granado news. Of course, she was introduced as the team's newest assistant general manager earlier today. We heard from her when she addressed the media, but we do have to talk about what went down at Rogers Arena last night, right? Where the Canucks play an absolutely dreadful first period. That's putting it mildly. Fall down 5 nothing before, you know, OEL gets the goal to make it 5-1 just before the end of the period. Eventually lose 6-3 to the New York Islanders on the second half of a back-to-back. And especially in the context of you know, the idea that this team is trying to sell itself to Jim Rutherford and basically say, look, there's something here worth keeping together to let us try to make this miracle playoff run. Like, that that performance in the first period is never acceptable from an NHL team, but I think especially in that context, it's very disappointing to see from the Canucks coming on the heels of a game against the Coyotes where they also were not good at all in the first period, and it really the the combination of those two games coming out of the All Star game, where yeah, you get the win against Phoenix or against Arizona, excuse me, but we all know the team wasn't very good. It was just hey, you're playing the Coyotes, and then you don't kind of take that lesson to heart, right? You don't kind of look at yourself and say, oh wow, we weren't very good last night. We're gonna have to be a lot better against this Islanders team. You come out and you give an even worse performance. It's hard to generate a lot of excitement for the remainder of uh, of this season when that's the performance this team is bringing out of the gates into the second half of the season. They have to be so much better on Saturday. 
you have to put in a better accounting of yourself against the Toronto Maple Leafs because, like, the Islanders struggle to score. You know, the Arizona Coyotes struggle to score, and they manufactured a ton of pressure on the Canucks, both of them early. The Maple Leafs, they don't struggle to score, right? They don't struggle to score. You have to come out better than that, or Austin Matthews, who has 31 goals in 40 games, is going to make you pay. He's going to make you pay. Um, The Canucks are without Quinn Hughes, right? So they don't have... Their one-man breakout machine there. If all else fails, break glass in case of emergency. Get it to him and the puck will go the other way. They don't have that right now, uh, which complicates things uh, for sure. But the problem last night wasn't that they were getting bogged down in their own end. It was that every time the Islanders beat their forecheck, which I actually thought wasn't a, a problem in their game, right? The, the forecheck itself, I thought the Islanders struggled to move the puck. But when they did... When they did, you know what? It was like uh, Bengals Titans. It was like they gave up nine sacks, but when they got a play going, it was chunk yardage. It was two on O's, multiple two on O's, multiple two on O's in the NHL. Come on. You can't, you can't have that. That's wild. I, I don't care how many defensemen you're missing. It's not acceptable. They know that. Yeah. Everyone knows that. Um, I, I, you know, they have to be better on Saturday. You can't. You can't perform like that against the franchise that this market hates the most uh, on home ice, on on national TV, in in East Coast primetime too, right? Like, you cannot. They need to be better on Saturday. I'm sure they will be. I'm sure they will be. The other thing I note, you remember what I said to you while watching the Islanders morning skate? They were fired up. The Islanders were fired up. They'd they'd sat for a week or so on that Seattle shutout. They got shut out by the Kraken, which is its own dubious kind of honor. And... There was something about their preparation and, and professionalism. And I, it's not like I watch a lot of morning skates. I've watched a lot of morning skates in my in my life, in my career. Um, the amount of times that I've seen a morning skate and came away from it and, and thought to ver- verbalize to someone close to me, like, this team looks like they're in it to win it tonight, um, I can count on one hand. It's very rarely happened to me. It did happen to me yesterday. Um, and I felt pretty pretty good about that prediction ten minutes into the, into the game when you know a- anyone who had the Islanders in a parlay got a got an early payout. Um, I, I want to also talk about Halak really quickly. Sure. We all saw like I, I, you watched Tom Brady in Week 18 where he stayed on the field to make sure Gronk got that extra reception in the bonus. Mm-hmm. Bonuses mean a lot to guys. I don't know if anyone will remember this, but Game 82 against the Edmonton Oilers. Back in 2012, before the Canucks lost to the LA Kings, I don't know. I don't, maybe no one will remember this, but the Oilers scored six goals in the third period. Just a huge offensive explosion. And as they were scoring goals, putting goals behind Luongo, this was the game that Henrik Sedin took a twirl in just to preserve his game's played streak. Um, the Oilers start scoring, and it's like Taylor Hall secures his uh, other Schedule B bonus and or Schedule A bonus. And Jordan Eberle secures his Schedule B uh, A bonus. And, you know, like by the time the third period was done, the Oilers' prospects had amassed like $1.5 million. And even though it was like the end of their season and it didn't really matter and they were scoring like a 6-2 goal, the celebrations were like through the roof, right? Like hitting your bonuses matters so much to guys. I remember, too, being in the tunnel. It was uh, – 
Sean Thornton's last game of his career. Uh, you know, no one likes to hear Sean Thornton's stories in this market, so of course I'll tell it. His last game of his career, and he also was triggering one of his games played bonuses. I don't remember how much it was worth, but probably a fair bit. Probably more than uh, I make over five years. <laughs> and... Um, and you know, all the guys are, are, all the guys are kind of ripping on him. Like, wow, you really got in the lineup for that many games. And, <laughs> but you know, it's this joyous moment for players when you hit a bonus, it's an important thing, right? Like Brady, the CEO of winning stays on the field to get you yours. Um, the Oilers players celebrating like mad, uh, you know, players all having fun with their buddy who, who managed to get to a games play bonus that at one point in the season, it didn't look like they'd hit. Uh, Yarrow Halak made a $1.25 million start last night, and that against his former team, a team that reassigned him to the American League at one point because they picked up J.F. Barube on waivers and, and ran out of space on their roster. Um, that game mattered to him more than a normal start. I promise you that. And he was completely hung out to dry. Uh, other than the Parise goal, which, you know, you'd prefer him to get, but it shouldn't be the end of your night. Um, and it comes... <laughs> 20 seconds after he stops a 2-on-0. Other than that, it was like deflection, you know, deflection where they ended up changing credit for the goal scorer, uh, blown coverage, deflection. Not on him. Honestly, not on him. I'd love to say it was. It wasn't. It really wasn't. He was hung out to dry. The players knew it. Bo Horvat knew it. Bruce, Bruce Boudreau knew it. I wasn't on Halak. But that game, a bonus game, a game where you hit a bonus, like that matters more to guys and to get throttled the way the Canucks did in front of your goalie, considering the importance of that game to him, um, bothers me a little bit more. Bothers me a little bit extra, because you know how much it would have meant to Halak to have a good night, to have a good outing, uh, to play the way he's played all season, and frankly, throughout the past decade of one of the most remarkably consistent NHL careers for a non-star goaltender. Um, I, I felt for him. I honestly just felt for him last night, because you just know that you just know that it was that extra bit important. It's it's always been one of my hockey pet peeves is teams hanging their goalie out to dry. Normally it comes up in the, the kind of dying stages of a blowout or a game that's already out of reach and you stop mm-hmm. playing and a game that's 4 nothing becomes 5 or 6 nothing because the team isn't playing in front of the goalie. That always drives me nuts. It's a different scenario last night, but you're right about the emotional stakes and the emotional value. Uh, and the financial value, obviously, for Yarolak getting that start. And again, it's just another reason why yet another slow first period becomes all the more frustrating and disconcerting to see from the Vancouver Canucks. Again, especially considering that they're trying to remain on the fringes of the Western Conference playoff race. Uh, I, I did see this question come up a lot last night in the inbox during the postgame show and on Twitter as well. Unsigned, it comes in now. Why wasn't Demko the starter? He's one of the hottest goalies in the league. And it's it just simply the Canucks aren't going to play Thatcher Demko in every game for the rest of the season, right? It's a back-to-back, and that's what NHL teams do now. They split back-to-backs unless their hand is absolutely forced to do otherwise. We did see it earlier in the season with Thatcher Demko when they didn't have another option that they felt uh, they could use. But again, unless you are in in an absolute emergency situation, you're going to split your goalies and give them both a start in a back-to-back. So it's not a surprise to me, and I don't think it's something that the coaching staff should be criticized. Halak's a really good goalie. And again, it wasn't on him at all last night did you see did you see I'm, I'm this is completely off the rails so excuse me but did you see burke rude's victory in the snowboarding I, I did yes that was the best thing i've ever seen 
And so when I say I'm done being polite about please, it. Please tell me we're bringing this back to the Canucks. <laughs> we are. We are. I promise. <laughs> All right. Let's go. So t- for those who don't know, Burke Rude won a snowboarding event and he'd sealed it before his third run. Um, and so he didn't need it to win. He sort of did the whole run with a flag. It was a complete celebration. And the judges from every country on a run that he did not need and was going to be docked no matter what, they all unanimously gave him a 69 rating, which is very nice. And he won gold. And when I say I'm done being polite about this team, it's like, we're not giving 69s. We're not giving scores of 69 for the rest of the season at this point. You know what I mean? Like... There is important work to be done on the evaluative side, on figuring out where guys can slot in for next season, on getting Jack Rathbone up eventually. I I think we need to see some Will Lockwood. Like I I think I think we're I'm sure the organization's not at the point yet where they're going to turn toward the future in terms of the priorities uh, of ice time of of player deployment. I'm sure they're not there yet, but they can't be far off at this point. They can't. Um, you know, I, I always get there about a week before the team, <laughs> typically maybe two weeks in a normal season. I don't know if anyone remembers, but Travis Green got very upset with me last year when I suggested that, um, Cole Lind should be playing. And then a week later, Cole Lind was playing. Um, I'm there already. I want to see some Will Lockwood. I want to see some Jack Rathbone. I think at this point we're looking at the rest of the season, uh, as being evaluative. And I think the sooner the organization gets there, then the higher the stakes of the games that those prospects play, the more meaningful development time we'll get. I don't want no Burke Rude scores attached to Vancouver's performance the rest of the way. It's time. It's time to know who you are. It's time for us to know what they are. They're not a playoff team. It's not happening. Stop it. And one of the things that could expedite that process from the organization's perspective, if they're not there yet, is results and performances like last night. And I shouldn't even say results. I should say specifically performances like last night, right? Like That's the kind of thing that will convince the organization, you know what, now we are going to use the rest of the season as an evaluation period because those are the ki- types of performances that we're seeing from the team. If that continues, for example, on Saturday in a very high-profile matchup against a very good team in the Toronto Maple Leafs, those are the kinds of things that can really tilt uh, an organization's decision-making, tilt their priorities for the remainder of the season So you've got Leafs on Saturday, and then you've got a lot of time off. A a bunch of days. And then you've got the Sharks. And then you've got the Ducks. You want to go three more games before you get to the point of being like, okay, we know who we are, fine. But you don't need more than that. You know, you got three games here. You need four points out of those three games. Um, and then maybe you get three more. But it's like, it's we're here now. This is this is where we're at. The runway is done. It's short. It's three games. Um, get four points from the next three or start to look toward younger players, toward the fact that actually losing games becomes helpful to you in terms of your draft stock and lottery odds, um, in terms of, you know, selling what's not nailed down with an eye toward being good two, three years from now, because that's what it's going to take. Canucks again, 23rd in the NHL as we wake up today in point percentage behind the Islanders who probably will actually pass them like that. They they actually will probably finish the season with a higher point percentage. And once again, behind the Detroit Red Wings as the Canucks have spent the last month flipping spots in the NHL standings with a team that's not even trying to be good this year. Like, come on. Come on. We just, 
let's just be objective and realistic about how we talk about this team at this point. It's it's time for that. It's time for that. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Few texts and thoughts I want to get in here in the final few minutes of the show. And one of them comes in about uh, the hiring of Cammy Granato. Unsigned says, with the hiring as Granato as assistant general manager, her role described to be player development and amateur slash pro scouting related. Can you shed some light on how that differs or overlaps with Derek Clancy's role in the organization currently it's it's an interesting question because they both do have the scouting background before assistant general managers here the long answer is let me make some calls and i'll get back to you tomorrow the short answer is you know there's a lot of work to do on all sides and actually when i look at it right i look at cammy granado well first of all say you're the best scout in the world right and then you become an, a, an agm or a general manager there's so much work to do that you can't then be the best scout in the world because being the best scout in the world requires you to see 200 games live a year, right? Or at least be crushing hundreds of hours of video a week plus uh, 50 hours of video a week plus seeing three games live, right? Like um, probably four, five, if you're in Boston anyway. The fact is, is that the fact is, is that once as you move up the chain, you no longer have time to do the job that you're best at, which is why it's always baffled me when when the idea of, like, the Super Scout GM has come up. And, and I mean, obviously we've seen we've talked here. about it a lot over the last decade. But it's like the moment you're an NHL GM, you're too busy to be a Super Scout. You are. You're just The, the job is too complicated. Uh, you're, you're the leader of an organization worth almost a billion dollars. Come on. So when I look through at, sort of at a surface level and think about Patrick Alvine who's got the deep amateur side scouting background, but has obviously been in hockey operations uh, beyond that and has had a portfolio that's included um, providing intel on the recruitment of European free agents um, and, and, and other things of that nature. When I look at Derek Clancy, he's a guy who worked up through the ranks as a pro scout, but ultimately settled into being a director of player personnel. That tends to be a blend between pro and amateur scouting. It's like making sure that the same rubric of what you're looking for at the pro level matches what you're trying to develop at the amateur level. It's, it's basically like a quality controller with, um, with a foot in both worlds. Uh, that was John Weisbrod's portfolio, by the way, but Derek Clancy's effectively, a, a in his background anyway, is a player personnel guy. And then you've got Cami Granado who's coming over from the pro side. To me, there's not a ton of overlap there actually. Like amateur, pro, player personnel, they're designed to have a blended role. And actually, if you look at the three, that makes a lot of sense. They're just elevated in terms of titles. It's not director level titles. It's AGM and GM titles. But uh, but I also think within the structure, and although Patrick Alvin, I think, is taking some really high level meetings and, and having trade talks on behalf of the organization, I don't think anyone is under any illusions about who's the decision maker within the Canucks organization. It's the president of hockey operations, right? It's, it's Jim Rutherford. And so over time, I would assume that Rutherford will start to be the big picture guy, right? And Alvin will sort of run the day-to-day and, and do that quality control stuff. Um, but certainly as he's mentored, right, uh, this is explicitly a situation where Alvin's come in to be an entry-level uh, general manager, uh, where the assistant general managers that the club has brought in, in, in Clancy and Castonguay and um, and Cami Granado are first-time AGMs, right? 
uh, I would expect Rutherford to be heavily involved as he gets this front office up and running to the point where he can begin to step aside and focus on the bigger picture items. Um, and I don't see overlap on that side. Where, where I was a little bit interested from the release was the idea that Cami Granado will have uh, a hand in player development as well. Ryan Johnson, of course, is the senior director of player development, um, has long been expected, including by me, uh, to get some kind of a promotion internally at some point. Um, we'll, we'll sort of see where that lands. Ultimately, I still think there's a, you know, a director of analytics hire that will happen or, or, or an internal promotion more likely. I still expect something to happen with Ryan Johnson. I still expect the club, in fact, to bring in another woman in addition to Rachel Dory, in addition to Emily Castongay, and in addition to Cami Granado, uh, to further flesh out their front office. So I don't even think they're done hiring eminently qualified women to help their uh, hockey operations department. And we'll sort of ultimately see where things fall. I do know that the collaborative vision that Jim has spelled out has been a big selling point for the candidates that he's recruited. I know that he's a guy who, again, likes to push buttons in meetings, likes to hear every view, likes to have every view challenged, likes to have every view challenged in an environment where at the end of the day everyone walks away and no one is, um, you know, limping out the door, upset, personally upset. Um, so I, I think there's enough work to be done that it's not going to be an issue of an unwieldy front office. I think having more people, having a dynamic process... I don't think you can win in the NHL anymore if you don't have that. That's a baseline expectation. So while I see some overlap and I'm not exactly sure how it'll all function, and frankly, as these very, very intelligent hockey people get together and begin to work as a team, I'm sure there will be a feeling out process as they work through it themselves. So I don't have a really good answer, even though I've talked for five minutes here. Um, but that would be my surface-level viewpoint on why certainly, to me anyway, Although you can see how overlap may uh, be suggested by the structure as it stands, um, it's it doesn't look concerning to me at least. Well, the qu- the question makes advance. sense, even if it's not a source of concern. It's I think it's a logical question from it the, is. the listener just saying, okay, hey, interesting backgrounds or similar backgrounds. How is that going to function? Well, and I'll get there. What rather? Yeah, we'll, we'll hear more on that. What Rutherford has said when he's been asked similar questions in the past is, don't worry, there's enough work to be done. And I think ultimately that's he's what not it comes wrong. down to. You'd rather have enough hands to deal with all the work, even if there is some overlap ultimately in the portfolios, then feel like you don't have enough coverage to do all the work. Well, and I mean, I still expect a lot of changes. Like I still expect changes up and down the ranks of Canucks hockey operations. Like one thing that the club still doesn't have, for example, uh, when you look to like what they had in Pittsburgh with Scott Young, he was Boston based, right? Their their director of player development, Boston based. He ran point on their college recruitment, right? Like there's, we've heard them talk about college recruitment. We don't know how that will function yet. I would still assume significant changes and significant additions to the Canucks front office as they put the finishing touches on it. That will do it for us today on Canucks Hour. Back tomorrow at noon for Nor- for more Canucks talk. Bick Nazar, Randeep Janda up next on the People Show. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.